day. What's in your spirit? How are you? Let me start. From <laughs> I, okay, I, I think I know how you are. I, I assume I know how you are. So, but I will not assume I know how you are, Mama Chitaka. Yeah. So, how are you? That's a good question. How am I? You know, a lot of times when people ask, How are you? It's uh, more of a pleasantry than an actual curiosity to know how someone is doing. Yeah, for most people. But normally when I ask people how they are, I genuinely want to hear how they are. Okay. In that regard, I think um, I am well. I am well. I think so. <laughs> yeah, if you have to say it three times. Uh, but I believe you. So what's in your spirit <sighs> today or the last couple of days? What's in my spirit? I don't know. That's a first. <laughs> that is so not like you. I'm sure if I just scratch the surface a little bit more, just, just a little bit more, you'll How have you? quite a bit to say. I'm rested. Rested? Yes. What does that mean? That means that I am at a place of peace. Physically, I'm not rested because the hustle and bustle in my life hasn't change that much yeah. but emotionally and I think spiritually I am like a calm sea for a second this morning for a second this morning I got a sense you're a bit uh, edgy uh, it depends on which part of the morning it was what was I doing was I like all over the place trying to get things ready for yeah. that's how I you're not yet used to me being like that in the morning. That's that's normally how I get. Like when I have quite a bit to do and to get out of the way if I have a task. Like I knew we had to do the podcast yeah. this morning at a certain time. And there are certain things I needed to put in place not related to the podcast. So normally when I'm in that place of trying to get things done, yeah. I can get into a very uncomfortable space. Unfortunately, you're on the, you're on the receiving end of me trying to fix things. <laughs> So. And that brings up something interesting is uh, um, to know the pattern that when you're in certain situation, uh, you get into a certain state. How is it that even with the knowledge of the cause and the effect, you don't alter it? I suppose I haven't, um, I haven't been very deliberate. I know it's something... It's one of those things that we're constantly talking about. It's like a broken record. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I haven't been deliberate about it. I think now that I think about it, the lack of being deliberate yeah. could be informed by possibly me just accepting or telling myself, that's just how I am. That's how I do things. It's not necessarily positive. But it could be that I've sort of accepted that's how I am, which is not very different from how human beings sometimes behave when they're dealing with situations that they know are not necessarily positive. But we embrace and accept things and say, that's who I am, that's how I am. And uh, it brings me to a scripture that says, 
therein is love made perfect. That as he is, so are we. So are we. And uh, I think the entire journey of Christianity is seems to be that we are supposed to put off the old man and put on a new man. So when one says, that's who I am, who, who is me? <laughs> okay. Is me the old man or is me the new man? Are you asking me that question? It sounded like a trick question. Obviously, in the context of scripture, who is me? I was going to say, who am I? Which is really, <laughs> who is me is not the old man. The old man is not who God created. The old man is the, is the corrupt version of the program. <laughs> That's not the program that God created. When God created man, he created man in his image. He said, let us create man in our, in our, in our own image. And when you think about the image of God, it's, it's versed, it's perfect, it's pure, it's, it's holy, it's noble, it's loving, it's kind, it's gracious, it's, it's perfection incarnate. That's who God created. When you talk about an image, I think of a mirror. What I see in the mirror is exactly as it is. It's a reflection. So we were created to be the reflection of God. Everything that God is, we are. It's just that at some point in time, <laughs> when sin entered the world, I believe, corruption, we were, we were corrupted. We we're basically a corrupted program. So when we come to the knowledge of Christ, when we come to salvation, the transformation is supposed to, I believe, reset back to original factory mode. <laughs> That is what's supposed to happen. But therein, for some people and for many of us, is actually the struggle, the reset. It is actually automatic. It is automatic. But the manifestation of that reset, yeah. Is the one, and I think we talked about this sometime. It's the one that's a bit, for some people, it takes a little longer than it should. So, but also, I think one of the reasons why, speaking of this, one of the reasons why it might take longer is the mindset. If I keep thinking, this is who I am, this is how I was raised. Okay, yeah, I know I, I'm a bit impatient or I'm very, I'm short with people. Um, I get angered quite easily. I'm not very tolerant. That's who I am. The moment I keep telling myself that in my mind, it is very unlikely that I'm actually going to change because as I think I am, so am I. That's what the scripture says. As a man says. thinketh. In his heart. So, so is he. he is. And I feel like a lot of the challenges that we face, especially in the transformation, or even our lives generally, are because in our minds we are locked in a certain mode. And I think I'm living proof of that, as are many people. <laughs> I'm living proof of that. And sometimes it takes another person because, of course, when salvation happens, ideally, it's a done deal. Yeah. So it is a done deal. But we have to do something to get to that actualization of what's already done. That's the finished work. But I need to put in the work as well. I can't keep thinking the way I used to think before I came to the knowledge of Christ. 
And you raise a very powerful point. For longest time, I used to hear spiritual warfare. And uh, for most people, spiritual warfare seemed sort of fighting demons and things like that. But I was opened up to the battle of the mind, the battles of the mind. And for me, therein I found understanding. I think there are people who fight an enemy they do not see. And uh, they're fighting in the dark. So consequently, even their victories are simply believed and not seen. Um, but when, it's, when I've come to learn about the battle of the mind, that understanding that uh, who rules my mind? Is it my flesh or is it my spirit? Right? Mm. Which spirit is uh, uh, regenerated? Right? So it's the Holy Spirit within. So who leads? Does the Spirit of God have total control? I remember a minister was explaining the Lord's Prayer and he said, Thy will be done on earth as it is on heaven. And we think about what does it take for the will of God to be done on earth? It means that we are not in the way. The limitation for God's will to be done is that we are in the way. We are in the way. We're yes. not in the way. We are in the way. Yes, in the sense that our carnal desires, our flesh, that part of say that's how I was born, that's how I was raised. Because the the Spirit of God is superior to how we were raised. It's more True. excellent. Right, And if a man's mind is in total submission, and I think that's where Paul says, do not be conformed to the standards of this, but be transformed by the renewing. Of your mind. And it's present continuous tense, renewing. So it's it always has, it's an ongoing process. It's not a one-off. So, and the way I apply that is uh, day-to-day look into my life, find anything that does not reflect Christ. And uh, you know how they get rid of jiggers? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and literally I think it's I like, do. Uh, get out the jig, right? That's such a graphic picture. Yes. That's, uh, that's bad. Yes. Did you have to use that image? I think there's something about communication <laughs> and visuals that sort of... Uh, Paint a better picture. It brings back very interesting, yeah. a very interesting memory and an interesting you, you memory. You had the jigger one time. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, I have experienced a so jigger. Yes, <laughs> I have experienced a jigger in my primary school. I went to some primary school there in Masaka. <laughs> and uh, I think in my excitement, that's when we had. Uh, 
just returned from Nairobi yeah. in my excitement, the idea of, of walking barefooted was, ah. was quite interesting because some of the kids, yeah, they used to come to school barefooted. It yeah. was a very interesting environment. So I was like, hmm, I, I want to feel what it feels like to walk. <laughs> yeah, let's just say I, I got a jigger or two. <laughs> and God works in mysterious ways. Now you have a deeper insight into the jigger. So when you talk about, when you talk about jiggers, all oh, the pain is real. The, the pain is real. Okay. There's, there's that, that interesting, it, there's that itch, like a little itch. Yeah. And then when you prick it with a safety pin, yeah. and then you get inside there and you're trying to remove those. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a bittersweet pain, but <laughs> let's not talk about jiggers. I, I was traumatized after that. But, it, but it's good to, to imagine that uh, the desires of the flesh can be related to the jigger. Mm. And I think uh, to know that these things we have to get out of ourselves, right? And uh, so the question we asked in the beginning is that if you know the cause and the effect, why is it not rid of? What do you think? I honestly, I honestly don't know. Could it be that sometimes we take it too lightly? Could it be that we f we do not know that we have we have the power within us to do it? I really don't know. I, I the reason I'm struggling with this, to answer this question is because even as you ask it, I'm trying to think why am I not doing anything about it? Yeah. So I really don't know. I think that's the honest answer. I I have I don't know. Isn't that the, the mystery of marriage? And I think <sighs> I say it's the mystery because it is, uh, these things, it's like people are in a certain, people do certain things that they are sometimes find themselves helpless in being able to change them. And uh, that is, I think, the it best mirrors the struggle of marriage. Is because you're dealing with individuals who are dealing with a certain nature that they don't have much power over. And this is interesting. When I was, uh, uh, I remember our first months of marriage were. That sigh is quite telling. <laughs> yeah, I uh, that bad. I think the hardest part of it. Have you ever tried to do something and you fail to succeed? There's a frustration that comes in applying effort that fails to yield results. <laughs> And uh, my deliverance came in the revelation about the differences between men and women. So what, just let's, let's take a step back. Because yeah. <laughs> I know there were quite a number of things. I think I, 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 I can't articulate one particular one because there were quite a number. But I'm curious to know, which one weighed so heavily on your heart, Muhammad Chitaka, that you sigh the way you sigh when you think about the first couple of months? I think sometimes 
the effect of things is in their consistency. I don't think it's in the one thing. Just think about anyone who, um, anyone who frustrated you. I don't think you, they frustrated you out of a single action they did. It's probably it's a combination a of series, things. right? Because mm. we have the ability to extend grace to a single encounter. It's just that when uh, a series comes into place, a whole nother world. I'll give an example. Um, uh, I remember a time where every time we were going to town in the early days, when we were living home together, and in the midst of you getting ready, which you hinted on today, you'd suddenly get into a whole nother place. <laughs> uh, someone mentioned something that's light, and the response is a whole nother thing altogether. Mm-hmm. Do you have a recollection? Or am I misrepresenting? No, you're not misrepresenting. <laughs> Where has it taken? Since it's taken you somewhere. No, no, no. I was just trying to... Rem- I think it's, it depends on what the person would say. It depends on what you would say. Why are we we talking about third persons? It depends on what you would really say. So if, for example, and there are different things at different times, and sometimes I'm not even aware. I think I came to the awareness of it when you called it out. Once, twice, thrice. But I noticed there was actually a pattern. So I had never, I was never cognizant of my behavior in those moments. But for me, normally it was, I have a target. I need to exit this house by nine. I need to pile as many of my activities before nine. Now that knowledge of the things that I need to do has a way that it sort of causes a lot of pressure Mm. and stress. Mm. So I am in a place where anything else that comes in is going to disorganize me. And for the most part, I have planned. Mm. I have planned by the time I go to bed, I have planned, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that, I'm going to do that. So if you come in with your request in the morning, you're distorting my program, eh? Mm. because I am programmed. You're distorting my program. So it feels like a disturbance that is going to affect my achieving my goal, which is exit the house by nine o'clock. Or if I notice, for example, if I used to notice back then, that we have a target, we need to go out by nine because we have a meeting at 10 and we're going together and it's 8.30 or eight and you're still probably reading your New York Times. And I'm thinking, but you knew we had a plan. Why am I the only one that's in a rush to leave this house? And you seem to be unfazed. Keyword being seem to be unfazed by it. Then I start getting irritated because I'm thinking he's going to make us late. Now, that sort of destabilizes me. But I think one of the things that sort of made it quieten down a little bit, one is you used to call it out quite a lot, so I noticed there was a pattern. But I was incapable of calming myself down and changing myself. But the one thing that I distinctly noticed is that in the moments where you didn't seem to be in a rush, for some reason we would get to the destination And either the person is late, the meeting has been moved. So basically, there was really no need for me to be stressing about being on time. So when I started noticing those patterns, I think I got into the space of just let it be. 
because you you don't know what God has orchestrated. You don't know what lies ahead. Now you ruin a perfectly good morning that should prepare you for a meeting because you're cranky. And then guess what? You get there and the meeting is delayed. You don't know what God's doing. Just go with the flow. And uh, as you were speaking, and you talked about how you could have the goals of what you're supposed to do and then sometimes I'm on about different business. It Which seems irrelevant for me because I'm thinking, really? Thank you. <laughs> and yet, when you think about the premise of marriage, it's still becoming one. Um, you have 10 toes. But if one of your toes was hurting, despite your busy schedule, you'll attend to it. You won't dismiss its pain. You won't dismiss its concerns. You'll attend to them. Now, in the sense of oneness, within the concern of one's husband or wife, be just like another part of themselves, that they need to, to prioritize along with themselves. And, and I think this brings up the idea of oneness. And I think uh, oneness is easier spoken of than um, lived. Um, because Jesus talked about, I think it was us, someone, I think it was, if there are two have become one, then how can they separate? Now think about a place of oneness where people cannot even separate. Where they are too stuck together. And I think those are moments where if someone has a concern, the other will feel it. Mm -hmm. You get? Uh, someone shared the story one time, and I think he's the man behind the camera. Uh, there was a group of believers who were praying. And uh, they were in like, an, I think make, had made a circle and they were praying together. And suddenly one of them wanted to pee. <laughs> but the bathroom was such that there was a key somewhere you needed mm. to go open to use it. And now he was conflicted. Do I disorganize these people in prayer to go use the bathroom? So he was trying to pray with them at the same time, has something to attend to. Which doesn't is pressing. Know who disrupt. And then someone suddenly said, the key is in this place. So someone sensed the, yes. it was just a sense. That's the story Sibian I was believing me. <laughs> <laughs> but because of how I was conscious about alignment in the spirit, for me, it wasn't a far-fetched story. Mm -hmm. that there's such a place where you can feel another's burden. And uh, you don't see the other person as though they're disorganized. You actually feel their burden. I'll give you something that happened interesting today. Um, there's something I was thinking about um, when you're preparing for the show. And I had you mention and said 
that you said that I said this time I won't do it. I didn't remember recorrection of actually telling you that. It was on my heart and I didn't know how to communicate it. But then oh, you were speaking so you, of so it. So you were thinking that we shouldn't do something. Yes. And then I mentioned it. You mentioned that we had agreed not to do it. And I was like, hmm, I don't remember when he agreed. And I think... Actually, we didn't agree. I think you just... You hinted just expressed, on it sometime, Yeah, you hinted but, on it. And I'm, yeah. in my mind, I was like, okay, we shan't yes. do it. So for me, it felt yeah. like we had agreed it shan't yes. be done. And... uh I remember we also reached a time where we had talked about, I think sometimes people, our priorities get out of order. I remember when we were getting married and we had counseling and uh, <laughs> we were told the first priority for the husband is the wife. Okay, above God. Yeah, okay. After God. God, God yeah. hierarchy is God, yeah. then the wife. Then the wife for the husband and the husband for the wife. Then even children come thereafter. Now, I think the challenge with their hierarchy or system, it was based on personalities. But if that added up obje- uh, objectives, like maybe going for a meeting, they'll still come up at the bottom. And I think- Who come up at the bottom? The objectives. Mm-hmm. So the challenge is when someone puts something, so imagine in trying to achieve your goals, right? You create a bad experience in your home. Okay. And, and this is what I find very interesting that, uh, when, before one is married, what are their intrinsic motivations? You're trying to be happy. <laughs> I hope, I hope that's not a motivation that gets carried into marriage because there might be a lot of disappointment. No, I think individuals ultimately are looking they want to be to happy. Be happy. Yeah. If you, if you are, if getting, if we are getting married was going to bring more stress and you knew it, I don't know if you'd opt for it. Okay. In the context of divine purpose this is a place where for divine purpose, you choose a certain path. Right. But at the end of the day, ultimately, uh, my desire is to be peaceful, joyful. That's the desire. Right. And, uh, what hap- What does a home look like if the desires for people is to say, how do I contribute to the peace and the joy in this home? It means some things ha- you're willing to lose certain things. And that's a dilemma about life. Life is about trade-offs. There's a way you can't have, they say you can't have your cake and eat it too. Okay, there's an angle where someone can dispute it, but there's also a lesson therein. It reminds me of what child, a gentleman said. He said, um, the young people know the rules. The old people know the exceptions. That's, is that Charlie Manga? Yes, it is. I've come to realize that uh, life, things require trade-offs. That, uh, and the only way you can make the right decisions in cases where there are trade-offs is if you have a clear sense of priorities. Mm-hmm. If your marriage <coughs> takes uh, precedence over uh, uh, maybe going for a certain meeting, then you'll actually make trade-offs that favor the marriage. But if at all for you, there are people who may say, for me, for when it gets to money, I don't joke with anyone. <laughs> now, for such an individual, if money, if their marriage gets in the way of their money, you, you can tell you can tell what kind of decisions they'll make. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. 
for a significant chunk of my life, my greatest motivation was money. And I took pride in the fact that I had worked all my life. I had worked from my second year at university. And I think the only time I had not had a job was when I had deliberately, in tw- it was 2012, and I deliberately decided to take a sabbatical from employment to be able to spend some time with our daughter at the time for about two years. So I was unemployed formally for about two years. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, I always took pride in the fact that I make my money. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a lot. But it sustained me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I needed to make that clear because you know you might say I make my money and people think that you have a lot of money. No, it was enough to sustain me, keep me afloat. It was enough for me not to have to depend on anyone. Yeah, it was enough for me not to be able to depend on anyone to give me a fairly comfortable life. And I shall come back to that dependency thing and how had, oh, I had to pay the price for it. Um But I remember when we were planning to get married, I distinctively knew. I looked at my life. I looked at my career. I looked at how far I had come. And by God's grace, I I think I've pretty much had a a good career, you know, in terms of my my communication work, my PR work and stuff. Because I look at TV as hobby, (laughs) but my other life that many people don't know about. So I, I, I was really rising through the ranks and I was doing very, very well for all intents and purposes, both um, from a performance perspective, from the brands that I've worked with, and fairly from a financial perspective, I wasn't complaining. But I knew that if I get into marriage and I still have my full-time job, there is no way my marriage is going to take priority. Because I feel like I had rec- I had configured myself to operate in a certain state hmm. and a certain mode that was very ideal and perfect mm-hmm. for the corporate and working Rukshana, but it was going to be of huge detriment to my marriage. And actually, some of the challenges that we're even facing in the early months of our marriage was as a result of a setting that worked very well for me as the corporate Rukshana and not the married Rukshana. It was, so I made a decision and it was a very, very easy decision to make by God's grace in that moment. I made the decision, I'm going to quit my job in the bank. I'll tell you, I was a bit scared. (laughs) There's a part of me that was scared because I was used to a paycheck coming on the 25th Mm. of every month. I was used to not having to ask for money for anything. I was used to spending it the way I wanted, saving it, helping people and different things. But it's it's only after a couple of months into the marriage and we're starting to have the challenges that we're having that I realized it wasn't really my decision to make. While I made the decision, it was actually God's leading. Mm-hmm. Because with the issues that we're dealing with in our marriage, the conflicts, the challenges, the, the attempts to to gel together and morph if I had to wake up at four every morning or 4.30 every morning and exit the house by 5.30 to be able to be at work by 6.30 and I was coming back at nine, we would have, I don't think we would actually be having this podcast. Mm. That marriage would have broken Mm. because one, we would never have time to resolve any issues. We would never have time to sit and talk. We would never have time to experience even the difficult moments 
and I would actually come back extremely cranky, like really, really cranky. So I, technically I would have ticked the box on my marriage, tick, finally married, and that marriage would collapse like properly. And I'm not advocating for people to quit their jobs. <laughs> but you said something that has been lingering in my mind that I think is quite remarkable. You talked about that your, your life was configured to work a certain way when you are alone. And actually that made me realize that it seems to be when we get married, we have to make room for spouses in our lives. And it literally is like as though your life had one big chair and you filled up the entire chair. And when you get married, you have to squeeze up a bit and make room for someone else. And that squeezing is not comfortable. And I think why many marriages may struggle, I'm not an expert at this, <laughs> is uh, people may still want to be themselves and not, not become one. You see? Because I want to live my life the way I want it. But for you to have someone else be part of you, um, an analogy to that, what's the spot where people sort of do activities where their legs tied together? Each one's leg brought to I the other I forget what leg. the actual activity is called, but it's used a lot in team building sessions. Exactly. Yeah. And uh, in such a scenario, if you do not make room, you won't make progress. Because if someone wants to do something, uh, I remember the image I had. Uh, my father had uh, a drawing. It was of uh, two goats, and they were tied together. And initially, each of them wanted to eat their own grass in opposite <laughs> sides. And they were struggling. Because they were all going yes. different directions to Until eat the grass. Until they came back together and said, agreed, let's first eat this grass. And then go. Then we'll go and eat the other grass. Right? So the necessity for alignment. So you just mentioned something so profound when I had it. And it challenges me to ask, have I created room? Right? Because our lives are configured in singleness. That our entire lives are built around the life of singleness. You cannot take a life configured for singleness and plug it into marriage the way it is. It does not make sense. So it is, uh, imagine you had to fit a square hole. Okay, round square, peg a, a round in a square, peg in a square hole, hole. Right? Very likely some things have to be chopped yeah. for it to fit right? It's very likely certain pieces of us, when we talk about how do people gel in marriage, some people may want to gel without losing anything. But it does not make sense. For that oneness to happen, some things have to give. It is people willing to sacrifice bits of themselves for the us to thrive. For the we, I and you 
cannot come to get, cannot create a we when they still iron you. To sound like a motivational speaker, I may say there is no I and you in we. <laughs> 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 but but uh, you get the gist. Yes, I yes right? I do. And it's that key. It's quite profound to me, and I hope I I get more time to reflect on it. The need to create room for the other person to come into your life. And this this is what I think. I think that when when we get married, there's a sense of awareness that there's going to have to be some change yeah. in order for, for us to be able to exist in the yeah. same space. I like using that phrase, exist in the same space. And now even as I say that, I realize that, there's, that, that, that phrase is actually flawed. Hmm. Because if all you're doing is existing in, in the same space, space then you're not becoming one. And I used to say it a lot. We exist in this space. And maybe that's why we used to have some of the challenges that, that we were having. Because in my mind, it was, we now, you used to have your own apartment. I used to have my own apartment. Yeah. Now we're sharing an apartment. And okay, yeah, so we've picked out things together. We are sharing a room. We're sharing a closet. That, that was another story for another day. Yeah. I, I remember when yeah, I had taken up a significant chunk of the closet with a lot of things that I didn't even really need. <laughs> and I was okay with it <laughs> until I realized it's so unfair. But yes, um, I think what happens is we do not really understand and realize, and maybe we have not been helped to realize and maybe it's not even possible, and I'm using the word maybe very loosely, for us to realize what it means to become one. And it's not, it's not the physical, it's actually not the physical things. So we might exist in the same space and time. We share a bedroom, we share a house, we share a home and stuff. But if we have not reconfigured our mindset, then we, it becomes very difficult to become one. It actually becomes really, really, really difficult because I feel like human beings are inherently, and there's no evidence for this, I feel like we're inherently selfish. Something profound comes up. At marriage, they say, what good has put us put together? Let, Let no man put asunder. Put asunder. And it just hit me that at a time of marriage, you are put together. And as you're speaking about mindset, it occurred to me that at a time of marriage you become one. It's just that the minds are in the way of that oneness. That the transformation of the mind has to happen into oneness. And that's a process. But also, it is a deliberation. It's not something that happens for. It is something people are deliberate about. Because you already won. It's like, it's like how you being born again. You are born again. But there has to be a transformation for that reality to reflect out. And that's why we are the battles of the mind. That there is a battle in to be fought in the mind for the oneness of marriage to reflect in our marriages. I like the analogy of 
Well, I like the, the similarity between what happens when you get married and what happens at the point of salvation. Yeah. The work is actually done. Yeah. The finished work. It is finished. It yeah. is done. It has been yeah. done by you taking that step. But the manifestation of it is where you have to play your part. Yeah. And I think the sadness about it is that you can go through life <laughs> and while the work was done, you're actually living like it was never done. That, that is actually the sad. That's the sad part about it. When you think about salvation, then you also think about marriage and becoming one. I'm reminded, reminded of a portion of scripture that speaks about um, servants on horses while the princes are down. That someone can be, can possess the treasure in earthen vessels, but yet their life experience does not reflect that. Does not reflect it. There are people who may be answering, asking God for things he has already given them. Mm-hmm. And you spoke of it in our last podcast about that things are first in the spirit before they manifest physically. How many of us, we have not reconciled, hope I don't lose a thought, that some things have already happened that you can be the greatest man. Uh, I remember something I, I saw on social media years back and I was talking about, I think it was about St. Paul uh, in heaven and some guy comes and he was talking about that what the man was meant to be. Mm-hmm. So this man had not become what was meant to be. I think it was us who was the best general in history. And then they said it was this guy if he had become. Mm. So it's that idea that uh, you can have a certain position. You can be a prince. I have another analogy to that. A man talked a story of uh, um, um, among the the eggs, uh, the hen hatched. One of them was an egg of an eagle. And uh, when the chicks came out, the young eagle also came out. And they all lived among, lived together. The eagle was just like the other chicks. Yeah. And when the eagles flew by, they all ran in hiding. Including the eagle itself Including because he didn't, re- didn't see that it was an eagle. He yes. didn't recognize that it was an eagle. And that is the power of how one who was a known what they've been given can live a life that is totally off. You're telling me. Yes. (laughs) That you can be gifted so greatly and yet live so mediocrely. So it's like manner that we may get in the way of our oneness in marriage that God has already made so, but our mindsets get in the way of that becoming a reality. And that's where the scripture, my people perish for lack of knowledge is quite profound. Thank you. I feel like sometimes when we use that portion of scripture, we think of perishing in terms of physical death. Yeah, yeah. But I think the more painful death 
is the death that is not physical. Yeah. yeah. Because you, for all intents and purposes, you're, you're moving, you're walking, you're breathing, people see you, but you're dead. Yeah. You, you're not the person that you ought to have become. Yeah. And when I think about the sadness of that, I actually see that many people, that is the reality for yeah. them. I think for the longest time, that was my reality, ironically. <laughs> That's a story for another day. But that was my reality for the longest time. But I think what's even sadder, what makes it even more complicated, is that sometimes there is an illusion of you being one thing that may not necessarily be what you are. Hmm. And I'll use my own example because that's what I can use. And so society has a way of propping you up hmm. and you feel based on societal standards hmm. that you have arrived, that hmm. you have it all, that you have it together, that your life is nicely put together and you're living a good life. Yeah. But the truth will always remind you that where you are is not where you ought to be. So if you choose to walk by the sight of society, yeah. you can encourage yourself and feel like you have arrived. But the truth is you haven't. You're not who God called you to be. Yeah. You're not living the life that God called you to live. And I'm not even talking about comfort, success, and stuff like that. It is the purpose for which God put me here the purpose for which my life experiences culminate to. Mm. It is the alignment to who am I really. When God knew me before I was yet informed in my mother's womb and fashioned all the days of my life, and he said, let Rukshana come forth, he definitely had a plan. He had a plan and a purpose. And there was something that I, only I, could achieve. Yeah. But have I done that? Am I living that? Is he actually using me in his kingdom? Or am I simply existing? And I feel like sometimes when we go through life and we tick the boxes of the world, and we talked about being in boxes, I think, in the last, in the last Anani podcast. When I tick the boxes, it's very easy to forget or to ask myself if, I am where God would have me be, doing what God would have me do. Someone said something very profound to me recently. We're having a conversation with a former classmate on, on a different matter. And he said something that stayed with me. He said, you need to be very careful about work. And he's, he's great at his work. He's an architect. He's, he's doing a pretty good job where God has placed him. He said, work is one of those things that takes a lot of our time and consumes us. And yet when you really think about why we're here, work is not high on that agenda. It could be the vehicle because God sends us into the marketplace, you know, to witness and stuff. But when work starts consuming a lot of your time, that you're too tired to pray, too tired to read the word, too tired to fellowship or whatever, then you've lost the plot. You've really, really lost the plot. So I feel like sometimes we go through life and we lost the plot and we have no clue where we're going or what we're about. 
And I'd like to bring back a thread you had started on of uh, that disconnect between what God has placed inside you and your physical, your lived experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm reminded on what we talked about submission in, I think, episode two. And uh, it was about this insight into life it's like this dark space we're supposed to navigate. Imagine you're in a place that is dark and the road is there, but the place is dark. How can you walk on the road in a dark space? And that's where the submission to the spirit is very critical. Because only the spirit knows the road. Mm-hmm. That you cannot see. And when you come to think about it, the spirit world is like a dark space. You can't see. Because the eyes, the physical eyes we possess can see the physical world. But the spirit world is that reality that you cannot see. And yet it has uh, the highest impact on what we see outside. Mm. Now, without... God and one being submitted to God, they cannot be led on the path they're supposed to walk on. So it is in a way comes a sort of like, uh, it, how does one re, 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 reconcile the difference between who they are meant to be and who they are? No one knows uh, the purpose of a creation than the creator. Than the creator. Now, if the creation tries to navigate life on its own, it's a bit foolhardy. True. So if the creation wants to arrive at its best expression in this world, it has to submit to the creator. And the creator will guide it on how it should be moving. And it brought me back to a gentleman I was talking to over the weekend. And we're talking about marriage. And he said that most of the times when he was married, in his marriage experience, he's still married, uh, the moments would have uh, uh, maybe a conflict with a wife. And he said the Holy Spirit always tell him, look to me. Look to me. And I think... What comes to me about what you were saying is uh, you do not have the mind to navigate that space. You look to me, look to me, but the look to me is a submission. Is he saying, Holy Spirit, show me the way. God, show me the way. There are a lot of times when you're caught up in anger, there's, uh, there's to be a series uh, I think it was called something, a vampire series. I always try to abstain from them. But uh, in my journey of youth, I tried to experiment with different things. But I remember one thing, there was, uh, I think, vampires and werewolves. And there was this guy that on the full moon he would turn. And he sort of had a nature within him that was evil. But yet he didn't want to be to that. To be that, yes. But he was yet, constantly fighting. Yet it was he was helpless. Mm. 
So what he would do before the full moon, he, he would, would go, go and, and say in himself. Yeah. Now that is a powerful principle. The one who's aware of their weaknesses and they can go and chain themselves that their weaknesses won't find expression. So it's not different from me, for one who in the midst of frustration and you have a million thoughts running through your head and you say, Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, show me the way. What should I do? Have your way. That submission of your being because if its decision is left to you, <laughs> your emotions are screaming, your ego is screaming, <sighs> yeah. your pride is screaming, every evil in you, the flesh, is screaming. And only if you can take yourself and plug into the spirit and say, let that be the power, the energy that flows in me right now. I hope you're still on course. But that takes, yes, we are. That, that takes a sense of deliberateness and consistency. Yeah. That it almost becomes second nature. Yeah. You, you just have to start doing it. Yeah. And even as I say this, I'm actually speaking to myself. <laughs> <laughs> you just need to start doing it and keep doing it and keep doing it. And the more you do it, the more it actually comes naturally. Yeah. Otherwise, the, configuration <laughs> yeah. or the natural dispensation is to just go guns blessing yeah. blazing we know what we ought to do but there's that constant battle inside of us and i think there's a scripture to that effect as well what i what i ought to do i do not do it yeah. i think it's was it yeah. paul i think it was paul what i desire to do i don't do yes. that i don't want to do i do i do so yeah. there's a recognition that inherently and naturally we're going to battle yeah but i think where many of us um lose it is where we don't even try yeah where we just don't try so i've learned to live my faith in a manner that's practical <laughs> When the Galatians 5.17 is a very critical scripture for me that speaks about the root of sinful self-interest in us that is antithetical to the free spirit. That, for, that scripture for me, and if you read Galatians, you see that Paul goes on about that battle between the spirit and the flesh. And uh, that scripture for me was very powerful because it showed me it's like, open me up. This is the battle. This is the battle that your flesh is fighting for, for control of your mind with your spirit. Mm. And the flesh can, you, so I, I was conscious about how do you practically knock out the flesh. So I started to do things that were contrary to my flesh. If, uh, if my flesh cared about how people saw me, so I decided to go sleep on the floor. So that, that desire of the flesh, I kill. And the hope was that as you kill it, the mind gets a new configuration. 
I, I started, uh, there's, a, there's a, something people say, it's not scriptural. <laughs> Fake it till you make it. Mm-hmm. Right? Uh, and I think Paul says something, not so close, but kind of close. says, if you're serious about this Christian life, act like it. Right? So there's a place where you can act the part and eventually it becomes, becomes, right? Which is the idea of learning. The way we learn is you're trying out certain things. But the more you do them, they become second nature, right? So that place of uh, taking the battle to the flesh. I remember back in 2011, uh, where the name Mutamze comes from. I had uh, at 20, uh, at 19, I bought my first car. It was a Toyota Starlet. And uh, eventually I had to sell it. I don't remember what I wanted to do. Uh, crazy story. So when I sold the style, I to buy a motorbike. <laughs> like, really? <laughs> so I go to Endeavor. I was looking for a Kawasaki, something, or a Honda. So I go to Endeavor looking for a bike. And uh, brokers take me to different places, and they took me to some place. And uh, it was kind of raining. And this guy started a conversation. And they say, Ori gayo mujukira. Bike ya mukwa ya fuka zoro. And they, they didn't know that you were there to buy a bike. I don't know. <laughs> and uh, and it, it was... Uh, I have a feeling you ended up not buying the bike. I, I didn't buy the bike. <laughs> I couldn't come back from that one. And uh, But anyway... That, uh, that was a light moment. But when I sold my car and I had to use taxis again, I was very self-conscious as a young man. I felt taking taxis, I'm a bit fake, man. I didn't feel cool in a taxi. And uh, it would always get awkward in a taxi. And then some chick comes with a car hand and puts it next to her. <laughs> I, like, man, man. There, there, there must have been some pride in there. But uh, I remember there's a time I had uh, an encounter uh, and my life was transformed. And one of the things I did, I started walking from church to home. I used to go to KPC back then and I'd walk from KPC to home. And, uh, the, and I would walk on the main road. And the thinking was, if there's something I'm afraid to lose, let me lose it. So I won't be worried of losing anything again. And that started a journey of my liberation, mm. of freedom, to, to, to face my fears. Because sometimes the things we are afraid of are just false evidence appearing real. Mm. And the moment you face that false evidence and it doesn't kill you, then it liberates you. There are people who are stuck in bad jobs because they have said, if I left this job, how will I survive? How will I survive? But someone may pull the plug on that job and the moment they survive, they're liberated. That's if they survive. Normally, the when they, part, normally when they pull the plug on it, it takes a lot for you to get to. Okay, yeah, there are people who will eventually yeah. find their fit. Yeah. yeah. So, the, and, and that is how that's how I've tried to live my life is uh, take the battle on your flesh 
it is, uh, and the, there's something where Paul talks about, is it beating his body into something like that? I don't remember. And when I hear those, they sort of affirm that perspective to me, right? Is, uh, the, the kind of nature has a natural impulse. Now, how do you act deliberately against the kind of nature? It may be painful to your body, but then there's a liberation. It's like someone who um, has a problem with food. What do you mean by has a problem with food? Uh, maybe feels their food is bad. Ah, okay. <laughs> now, if that person started fasting, they can take the battle on that. You get? Because you get to see, call the bluff. Ah, oh, um... Interesting where this com the, the the different spaces that this conversation has taken us. Uh, and to imagine it just started with one simple question. <laughs> <laughs> just one little question like this and, and we've gone into a multitude of places. But one of the things I'm thankful for is that we can actually sit and have conversations mm. about stuff like this. I, I feel like I feel like some people do not have the luxury. Mm. For some mm. people, the pain of having, the pain of realizing that they got into something that they thought was going to be so beautiful and it turned out to be horrific mm. is very real. No one walks into marriage with the expectation that it's going to fail. No one walks into marriage with the expectation that it's going to be difficult. Sometimes there's a knowledge, it's not going to be easy, but for the most part, like you said, people get into marriage because they hope that it's going to, that phase of their life is going to be better than the one before. They're going to be happy. I'm not sure that happiness is a good objective for marriage because you soon realize that happiness cannot, cannot be a good objective. I, I think happiness is, is very, is very fluid. I think it's important to have more tangible more realistic and more but i think okay let me put it this way i think normally we say i want to be happy or my expectation is to be happy because that's the best way we can express it but i think there's this value in being more granular you know as opposed to saying happy because you soon realize that happiness is is fleeting that, that, that's a that's a I, I see where you are and i see some parts that goes off but i think what i hear you saying is saying <laughs> Yes, it's good to desire happiness, but not to put happiness above purpose, for instance. You get? Because yes. for a cause that is of purpose, very likely a certain moment may get hard. Right? True. And if happiness is your driver, you may see the hardships of purpose to be as a, this is what I don't want. Let me go for happiness. The, yes. That's exactly it. Yeah. That, that's exactly it. So I think there has to be, it has to be more. Yeah. There has yeah. to be more to it than just, I want to be happy. Yeah. I'm tired of this life. Yeah. I think you said it in, must have been the, the Q&A. I don't remember which session it was, where you said if, if you can't handle the coldness yeah. of, of being a single man, of yeah. course you're speaking in the context of a man, yeah. then you're not going to handle marriage. Yeah. Similarly, if you can't handle, as a woman, if you can't handle 
the challenges that come with not having money. Because some people actually, honestly, women, one of our greatest needs is security and provision. So I get married and I expect that suddenly all my problems have ended. Now, if you can't handle challenges and and, and financial hardships when you're single, it's going to get worse when you're married. Because guess what? You have someone you're depending on and then for some reason they can't provide. Then you start looking at them as, dude, I can only say this in Luganda. Even though, by the way, sometimes the life, your past life was harder, <laughs> you know. So I think there's a place where it, it, there is value in, even before we get into marriage, which is absolutely beautiful, even with all its challenges and 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 whatever. There's a place where it's important that before one actually gets married, they are one comfortable with who they are. When I say comfortable, it's not just take things for, as in learn to live with yourself. If I were to be a motivational speaker, learn to live with yourself, learn to deal with challenges so that when you get into marriage, you're not overwhelmed because it, it, it can be overwhelming on that journey to becoming one. As I'm speaking, I realize that sometimes people are put unfair expectations on marriage. <laughs> if, uh, <laughs> I think marriage can be thought of as a person. Okay. And there are people who want more of happiness than even had in their own lives. Sorry. When they were single. They want more in marriage than they had in their own lives as single people. Yeah, I think that's just the folly of man. Because when you think about life generally, you have good days and bad days. And you don't hate your life because of the bad day. Right? Mm. Because life brings you uh, different colors. A combo of things. A combo, right? But of course, and there are people whose lives I struggle every day. But that is not reason enough for them to hate their lives. The people who have been struggling day in and day out, there's no reason enough to hate their lives. But there are some people who come to marriage as though it is a uh, it's taking the, me to that place. The panacea Nirvana. for all ills. <laughs> <laughs> you get? And I think that's where we go wrong. Because if you, if you look at marriage as a person, you start to realize, okay, it has its shortcomings. It has its good days. But at the end of the day, it's your life. You live with it. Uh, when the Bible says, oh, God has put the man put asunder. So at least for the design of God is, uh, you move from single life to married life, but it's still you, it becomes your new life. It's just an extension. It's just an extension. It's, 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 a, it's another phase of your journey. Yes. It's not a total overhaul. And I think some people, they see marriage are different from them. And that's why they speak about, I don't like this marriage. This marriage is becoming... But they're but, in it, so they're part of, yes, part of yes, the problem. Yes. If there's something wrong with your life you don't like, you'll figure out how to deal with it. You pray, you learn, you do something. You, you don't have a way to get rid of it. So some people, I think, want to rid of this thing that is becoming too demanding. Which, uh, which is a bit, uh, uh, now unfair. I can see why you are able to make it through the first couple of months of our marriage. <laughs> 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 that deliberateness is definitely helping. I'll tell you for a fact, there was a moment I was like, Lord, hey, yeah, take me back to being single. Then I remember <laughs> saying, I'm like, no, 
we shall manage <laughs> the stretching, the stretching, the stretch. Stretching is never comfortable. Yeah. It's not comfortable. But then product is beautiful. You know, do you know why a needle hurts when it uh it's uh pushed into your skin? No. Because there's no space. So for it to fit there, there has to be some pain. And it's quite um improper for us to imagine someone else coming into our lives. And it's just and it's just going to be no not no pressure, soul ease. No, 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 no. Because they have to find room in that chair. In that is exactly that two are becoming one. Each one lives their one, their father and mother, and to become one, they squeeze into this car pocket of oneness. And they may be, you may have to move a bit for the other. <laughs> they are hitting me, press too hard on <laughs> but you. But you're hurting me, you're sitting <laughs> you on get? my side. But that's the journey of finding. I remember when I was uh, sleeping on the floor, I think it, uh, it best mirrors that experience. I remember, oh. I remember a time I was, I used to put my slip on my hip, so you got but then seemed to be there was a, a certain position in the hip you need to adjust for it to be comfortable. But it's a, like a simple movement you have to make. It's, it's, it's a balancing act for comfort, right? And I think it's the same thing when someone else comes in your life, you have to find a certain way to to fit in the oneness of it. and uh, You are blessed to have had the experience of sleeping on the floors <laughs> as preparation for marriage. You That's know? actually true. When you've, really uh, blessed. when you've been sleeping on the floor, eating tomato rice, what a hardship. You make tomato rice sound bougie. It's just rice with, with some tomato. steamed tomato. <laughs> and like this a bit. Yeah. So yes. Yes. I feel like, I feel like you were, you were more prepared. You are more prepared for uh, for marriage, deliberately and not even deliberately. I think some of us just, I think God just felt uh, you've, I have waited for you for a very long time to sort yourself out and it's not quite working. So let me yank you into this space. And But as a second thought, yeah. if you're sorted out, what would be the relevance of my leadership? Exactly. But, uh, and that's where... <laughs> I feel like this conversation is now going to go into another space of timing and, <laughs> and God making everything beautiful in his time. But um, yeah, God does make everything beautiful in his time. And that's, that shall be a thought. Maybe that we can pick up in a subsequent <laughs> conversation. Because it's something that's, that's, that's sort of been on my spirit as well. So. Since you want to retire. Yeah, I, I think now is a good point to retire. I have, I have quite, quite, quite a number of, um, quite a number of things to ponder on, mm. you know, because it's so easy to forget. Eh? Sometimes you get comfortable, and you get comfortable when you've created space in the chair until the space the chair gets a bit smaller, mm. <laughs> you know. Because I think I think it's really about growing. It's about mm. constantly growing. My, you never really arrive. At this one place, we're constantly life. growing. It's, it's actually it is the reality of it's life. It's extension of your life. So I I deal with one. We deal with one thing, and then yeah. we grow together. And that's the thing about the journey of becoming one. It's it doesn't have a time. I don't feel like it has a time. We're definitely in a better space than we were. You don't see. over a year ago, but I still feel like there's still a lot that we need, and we shall keep learning. And and I think for me the 
the key thing to note is celebrate the progress, but just know that there's more. Because you could also get comfortable and feel, I have arrived, I've ticked a box until something hits you. And you're like, I thought we had sorted this out, you know. So it's constant growth. It's growth. It's constant. Yeah. That's a good way to wrap it up. I think so too. All right. Has it become a tradition that we hold hands? I don't know. Close. You're the one who's getting very lovely, Daphne. I don't know. I don't know where that came from. You're, that wasn't you, but uh, yeah, <laughs> I think it's part of growth.